Welcome to Textination. I'm Fred Fishkin at the Out of Oregon Landscape Photography Conference taking place in Newport, Oregon. And with me is Nick Page, one of the instructors here. Thank you so much for joining us, Nick. No problem at all. It's, it's cool to get to sit down and talk with a fellow uh, radio person. It's pretty cool. Tell me about the, this, this conference and, and what you've been doing here. You've been taking people out, myself included, yeah. to to make or take images, depending on how you want to phrase it, all around the coast here. Yeah, so I'm based out of Eastern Washington, and one of the things that I get... Walla Walla, we like to say that. (laughs) Exactly. Walla Walla Washington. Uh, You might remember it from Bugs Bunny. (laughs) But uh, one of the things that I get to do, uh, because I'm a spoiled Pacific Northwest kid, is that I get to travel over to the coast to do a lot of landscape photography. And so this conference, which is put on by the Out of Chicago guys, Uh, This is based out of Newport, Oregon, and I'm kind of one of the local hired guns that they've brought in to, um, to, you know, not only put on a conference where we're doing presentations and, you know, a lot of classroom teaching, but every morning, every evening, we're going out, we're doing excursions, we're teaching in the field, and it's really, really cool for me that gets to shoot this place all the time to see, you know, some of the East Coast people experience this beautiful coast and and, you know, go, take them out, get their feet wet, you know, out. Literally. In, literally. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, a guilty pleasure for me to watch people getting soaked and, <laughs> and experiencing the coast for the first time. So it's, it's a ton of fun. And they're going out in rain or shine. Yep, absolutely. So part of the Pacific Northwest is uh, shooting in the rain. So we're all getting familiar with our rain gear and kind of uh, working with the challenges that the weather can give us sometimes. And we're talking to some of the photographers about their journey to becoming a professional photographer. And I think your story is one of the more interesting ones to tell and inspirational at the same time because you haven't been a pro for all that long. No, so I've, I've been a full-time photographer, quote unquote, a pro for five years, but I've only been doing photography at all for six years. So I quickly... In one year, you decided after you picked up a camera, it, I'm going to turn pro. Yeah, I'm one of those really, really obsessive type persons <laughs> that, like, when, when I get into something, I completely immerse myself in it. And so, you know, when I first discovered, hey, I really like photography, I was, you know, into my 30s, and I actually was uh, had this back injury that gave me a lot of time to learn stuff, and I used that time to, uh, you know, absorb the technical side of photography. And then I got my first camera, started doing photography, and within a year of picking up my first camera, I was, you know, I was shooting enough portraiture and weddings and that type of photography on the weekends that I was actually making more on my weekend than I was during my week at my day job that I didn't love. So that's kind of... What, what were you doing? Share, uh, share with us. Yeah, so um, I was a golf course greenskeeper. And, you know, very applicable to photography. And I was, while I mowed, I was listening to podcasts and audiobooks. And that's kind of where my interest with podcasting and all of that comes from. Uh, because I was a heavy consumer of that stuff. But um, 
I was doing that job and doing photography on the weekends. At that time, I was very much a journalist photographer, just doing whatever would, people would pay me to do, to trying to pay my bills. And when I realized that it was, re- I was, time, it was time to go full time, it was when I knew that I could make ends meet comfortably without risk. And that was actually, you know, when I finally quit my day job and started doing photography full time, that's really when my career started to blossom because I allowed myself the time to uh, to grow. You know, when you only have a certain number of hours to dedicate towards this thing that you love, you can only get better, so you know, at a certain rate. And then once I allowed myself more time to work towards my goals, it was amazing how fast I could accomplish them because I not only did I was I passionate about it, and not only did I love photography, but I treated it like a job. You know, I worked hard at it. I, you know, I, I probably worked 60 hour weeks and I was either doing photography or delivering photography, or I put a lot of time into just the educational side of things and learning and working at getting better. And I think that um, that was probably one of the things that it, that aided in my really quick rise to stardom, if you call it the call it call it that. Um, my quick rise to being where I am is that you know I gave up a lot of the social life and a lot of the uh, you know, the stuff that we all waste time on. So many people watch Monday Night Football and watch every, uh, sit down and binge watch a, a season of Game of Thrones. But my idea of a good time was to buy t- a tutorial and w- tuck my son into bed and get better at photography. And that was just how I spent my time. And for that reason, I got better at a pretty quick rate. Yeah. You could have gone in any direction, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. What did, what, made you buy a camera that first camera well so I had a music I had a background being a musician and one of the things that I struggled with as I got older and I had a son is that you know the musician life not only were you subject to the personalities and the lifestyles of everybody else in the band, but the band was only ever going to be as good as the weakest member or the laziest member. You're only going to be as good as that lazy bass player. And what I loved about photography was the fact that I, it was all up to me. And I didn't have to be tall. I didn't have to be smart or fast or in shape. I didn't have to be any of those things to be good at photography. All I had to be is dedicated. And for that reason, that's kind of, you know, a person can, the only thing holding a person back from being a good photographer is how the amount of time and effort they pour into it. Because so much of the information is out there for free. You can literally educate yourself on becoming a professional photographer for free on YouTube. And you can't say that about too many professions, you know. Uh, a lot of, it used to be that you'd have to go to college for a number of years to become a professional at anything. But that's not true anymore with photography. All of that information is out there. And really the only thing holding a person back is the amount of time that they pour into it. Don't you think there's something more? I mean, you can learn all the technical stuff. You can read it. You can watch those videos and learn all of that. But there's something deeper to really becoming a a, a really great professional photographer. Or, or maybe you're not a professional, but 
you know, to take the kinds of images that, that you've shown us here? You know, a lot of people would agree with you. I don't. I think that photography is one of those things that you can always work on your weaknesses. So there's, there's, I always say that there's a couple types of photographers. There's the photographers that are very technically minded. You know, they, they pick up on the technical side of photography really quick. They love the technology, but they struggle with the creative aspect. They struggle with composition. A lot and of just, them are here to, to yeah, learn the creative absolutely. aspect. And that, so there's that personality type. Then there's the other personality type that is really great with the creative side of things. They're out rolling around on the ground, getting all these crazy angles and stuff, but they struggle to learn the technical side because it doesn't interest them. They often don't like the post-processing side of things. And there's kind of those two types, and everybody falls in the spectrum of that. And the thing about photography is you can always work on those weaknesses. And I don't think that there is any innate anything that makes one photographer better than another. Uh, the only difference is the amount of time and effort they pour into it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm one of those people that believes in the 10,000 hour rule where there's a book called the, the Talent Code or the Talent Myth. And it's this idea that uh, in order to become truly great at something, you just have to pour in the 10,000 hours of dedicated practice and and make sure that you're using your time in a good way. Talks about lots of like, you know, child prodigies, people that we see as these child prodigies, like the Tiger Woodses that were three years old and hitting golf balls. Thing is, by the time Tiger Woods was three years old, he'd already hit more golf balls than a lot of 20 year olds. And it's just that they had put in that time. And the nice thing about photography is it's not like a sport where you have to be tall to be a good basketball player or to be flexible to be a good golfer. You just need to put in the time because there's none of, none of those kind of barriers for entry with a creative thing like this. Wow, that, that's really an interesting take on things. Some people would say it's not just 10,000 hours, it takes $10,000. What, what are your thoughts about the, the, the money aspect? Does somebody have to go out and spend three, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 on the equipment to really be good? Uh, the truth is no, but we all convince ourselves that we do because <laughs> photography is one of those things where it's a very expensive hobby and some of us, uh, we get gear acquisition syndrome where we just are obsessed with that newest thing. But the reality is, for the most part, you don't need that super expensive gear. You need adequate gear, but there comes a point where the gear... And in some cases will enable you to do a different type of photography or might open some doors technically, but the only people that are going to really notice the difference are going to be other photographers. And people that are making a great living selling prints and stuff, they're often not hung up with that idea of having to have the latest and the greatest because they understand that the people buying prints and the people purchasing art they don't care about those little things. They care about, you know, the other stuff. Like, it's pretty. <laughs> Composition, color, you know. They, they're focused on those larger things rather than the absolute sharpness from in that particular rock. That's the kind of thing that photographers get hung up on, not so much the people that are purchasing photography. And you can spend $10 on a, on a polarizer or $150 on a polarizer. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's kind of nice to have good stuff. <laughs> so, it, so like, you can get from A to B in a 1978 Honda Civic, or, 
but you could also get there in a BMW and it's a whole lot more comfortable. Like it's, it's, it, sometimes gear makes the, makes the shooting process more fun. And sometimes the more fun you're having, the more creatively inspired you are. So there's this funny thing where like if you're fighting your gear, you're not going to be as creative. So you could argue that enjoying your gear makes you more creative, but you know, that's assuming you're actually enjoying the gear and using the gear. So uh, for me, when I purchase gear, I make sure that I can justify the purchase by the fact that I'm actually going to use it enough to get my money's worth out of it. What are your favorite things to tell people who just want to take better pictures? Um, you know, that's a, that's a loaded one. I think that, so, you know, compositionally, when a person goes to a place, when they go to a particular scene, I tell them to that, that the whole photo taking process is a lot about trying to determine what it is that they love about the scene. Like if you were going, if you go to this particular scene and you're going to, you're going to, <laughs> and you go to this particular scene and you're going to go home and tell your wife or your girlfriend the story about this place, what stuff would make it into that particular story? Would it be, you know, the, the beautiful sunset? Probably. Would it be the flowing water? Most definitely. Would it be the cool rocks? Probably. Would it be the little sticks in the corner of your vision? Probably not. So trying to boil it down to the things that would make it into the story and leave out all of those things that wouldn't, you wouldn't bother to tell because it's not interesting. And, and just to, uh, because a lot of people, they, they struggle with, like, you go to a beautiful place and they're overwhelmed. Like, where do I point my camera? Like, where do I start with this composition? And that's kind of a way of boiling it down is to just figure out what is the most important parts to you as the person experiencing it to include into that shot what parts would want what parts of it do you want to include into that story you know a, a lot of us get to a scene like so many of the places here and you just keep clicking and clicking and clicking yep. um is that a bad thing or a good thing i mean yeah you find hey another another wave <laughs> another rock i think that the largest, the, the most important part of that is totally fine to take, you know, a lot of times when I'm photographing surf and waves, I'm taking tons of photos, thousands of photos. But the most important thing is that you're, you're taking them with a purpose. Like, you've taken the time to really dial in whatever composition you're going towards. You're just trying to find that right moment, that right wave. Because when you're photographing waves and surf, every single wave is gonna be different. And for that reason, and you don't really know what it's going to do until it does it. And then you're like, oh, no, didn't get it that, but at least I took that shot. But uh, you need to make sure that you're doing all of that after you've done your homework as far as like making sure your settings are proper, making sure that your composition is clean, those kinds of things. Once you get that, then you've kind of got the green card, to, the green light to just like, you know, take a bunch of shots. I think our, our mutual friend Rick Salmon calls it OCD, obsessive clicking disorder. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just part of the digital age, I think, is that, you know, SD cards and memory is cheap, um, and the, the, the trying to capture that decisive moment, sometimes you don't know that it's happened until it's already happened. So you want to be, you want to be present when it's, and anticipate it when it could happen. 
Well, thank you so much for all, all the work that you're doing here and for everything you're doing with photography. We're all learning a lot from you. Where can people find your work, your podcast, etc.? So um, the easiest way is just Google Nick Page. Uh, but my, the name of my podcast is the Landscape Photography Podcast. No idea where I got the name for that. Just a <laughs> blazing moment of inspiration. Um, and then you can find me on YouTube. A lot of people uh, kind of learn about me through YouTube. I kind of have behind-the-scenes videos of a lot of my adventures and tutorials and that stuff. You just do a search for Nick Page. You'll find me there. And my website is nickpagephotography.com. Nick, thanks so much for taking the time with us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Cooking with the power of the song. Hi, I'm Fred Fishkin here to tell you about the latest innovation from my friend Patrick Sherwin and his great team at GoSun Stove. The GoSun Fusion has arrived using the company's tried and true reflectors and a solar vacuum tube to get you cooking without the mess of charcoal, heavy propane tanks, or smoke. A really bright idea. And with an optional solar panel and battery storage and the ability to plug in at home or on the road, you really can use the GoSun Fusion to cook anytime and anywhere, day or night, rain or shine. I love what Patrick and his team are doing, and so will you. Want to learn more? Head to GoSun.co to check out all of the company's products and innovations, and use the code TEXTANATION to save 10%. That's GoSun.co. Dot CO.